A marathon used to be the toughest challenge the average person attempted. My guest this week on Exceptionals pushes her mind and body to the limit as she takes on ultra marathons of 50, 100 and 250 kilometers. She's enjoying where her running is taking her and I know you will enjoy my chat with extreme queen Amon Shedden. Amon, welcome. Thanks very much for coming out today. When I first started this, you're on my wish list of people I wanted to speak to. A mutual friend of ours, Tom, used to compete in 50 kilo events. So I thought that's quite impressive. And then I looked into you as you do and you're doing hundreds. And then recently, only six months ago, you did a 250 kilometer event across the Simpson Desert. That's it. It was actually 210. One of our days got cut short. So We'll, we'll, we'll let it yeah, that yeah. out because 250 Thanks kilos so. sounds pretty good. But that's <laughs> over six stages. Six stages, yeah. Where does it start? You decide, you were doing, obviously you've been going for a while in these ultra marathons. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to the big red, but where does it actually start? Were you always active growing up? Uh, is, it, is, is it running always been your love? Have you done other sports that led into it? I think it's one of those typical journeys of childhood. I was always riding skateboards, getting in trouble, riding a BMX, chasing after people, being, you know, the usual, I don't know, adventurous kid, you know, catching butterflies, letting them go, falling over, all that sort of stuff. And then I think my parents... Being them, they just, they let me go, you know, just yes. do my own thing. So dad taught me how to kick a footy. I played, I played hockey, badminton, football, cricket, everything. And running was a part of that, as I, you can imagine. So I think it just came naturally. But the running side of things, did you start as a runner tackling the shorter distances and no. then you got bored or you didn't bother? No, I was always a shit runner, to be honest with you. Like as in, in 100 metres shit or? Uh, everything shit. Like I okay. was, <laughs> okay. I was just, I was never fast. Um, I was just always a mid-packer, really. Mm. And that's why I didn't do it. I didn't really like the, the vibe of um, cross-country or, or athletics. It was just always the start gun, the nerves, being sick. So I played other sports, team sports, and I felt more comfortable, I think. It yeah. wasn't this expectation. Okay. You know, so. so the cross country, what yeah. sort of kilometres are we talking cross country when you're... As a kid, I think as a teenager in, I think it sort of started for me in year eight and nine, and it was just one of those things, they, they were a girl down at school, so I played hockey, blah, blah, blah. They're yeah. like, come on. Out your pop, wear these short little undies and a singlet in yes. the middle of winter and go off and do 4Ks and it killed me, I think. So it's like, no, nah. first time and last time, especially running in those silly, silly undies that they make you wear. So the 4K, that's generally a cross-country distance. Was it so. Was it uncomfortable in a way because you're kind of at your a peak or more heart rate? Yeah, You know, 200 plus definitely. as an year eight is quite uh, uncomfortable, yeah. especially. I think off off the blocks without doing any formal training it was just a bit freaky and no one likes the hurt but after after a while I think playing more cricket playing hockey I sort of used running to get fit mm. and with you must understand the more you train the easier it becomes so that's how it kind of progressed so the progression so cross country no good athletics forget about it yeah the first time you decided to take on an event of any significant distance was Victorian road runners I think I'd gotten to a stage with my running where I thought okay I'm kind of I'm training it doesn't feel like heartbreak city um yeah. I feel fit enough let's try a 5k that was probably over 20 years ago now 
So it was like in my late teens, early 20s, I did my first formal race, 5Ks. I think it took me 18 or 19 minutes, which isn't by any means fast, you know. Yeah. Give me a break, will you? That's less than four minute, four minute Ks. I know, but... It's not bad. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's one of those things where it's just like the penny dropped. It's just like you've got to put the work in, you know, the pain's normal in a sense, and it's about adapting to that. Yeah. So how long did you stick around at uh, 5K events? Didn't take long. I was My goal after a couple of months was to do a marathon in my early 20s. Didn't quite get there because of injury. I think it was too much too soon. Mm-hmm. So that's when I developed a love-hate relationship with my um, left Achilles t- tendon, uh, which remains to this day. But I was training for the Melbourne Marathon. It'd be a dream come true, but... Achilles tendonitis flared up, blah, blah, blah. And it took me another 14 years to get to the marathon start line. But So when you actually decided that you were going to run the Melbourne Marathon, how mm. many months out did you decide you were going to run that? About five months out. I think, but sort of June, May, June, and I started my training headlong into it. And I think it was, you know, when you're youthfully exuberant, mm. it was too much too soon. Okay. Overtraining syndrome 101. And was that, you started with a program? Did you pull something off online or speak to someone that's run before? Yeah, online back in those days, In I don't think it existed for me. So it was basically Runner's World magazine. That was my Bible at the time. Yes. And a couple of the publications from Runner's World, just Amby Burfoot or whoever, whoever it was, those marathon training plans and I stuck, you know, I stuck to it, but then I did too much at the same time. So I would train twice a day, that kind of stuff. Uh, So you actually had a plan, but you overdid the plan. I overdid the plan. I doubled the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously that must have taught you something in regards to your preparation going further down the track. If you didn't quite make that marathon start... 14 years ago, what was there, what was there in between for you? Did you, um, were there other events like smaller races or? No, I kind of, I kind of went sidelong into head, head first into, into life. Um, a lot was going on in my twenties. I was like a teenager in my twenties, basically. Okay. Um, bit of a lost soul. Young spirit. That's good. That's it. Yeah. A bit wayward. Yeah. Yeah. As my family and friends could perhaps contest Mm -hmm. and agree. Um, Mm -hmm. I sort of went off the rails a little bit, a lot. And running took a back seat. So when did the penny drop that uh, you wanted to get back into it? Early 30s, yeah. When you decided in your early 30s, what were you, what distances were you going to tackle then? I think the marathon was always my, um, it was on my pedestal. Yeah, you know, okay. So it the be all and end all. It's yep. like, this is, this is what everyone's talking about when they talk about running, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was very still naive yep. about all of that. So I was just formulating my own sort of running self, yes. in a sense. Those baby steps of, mm-hmm. oh, God, the marathon. It's so insurmountable. How do they do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess I use that as a platform, as a goal. My first significant goal in running was to do a marathon. And that was um, the Frankston to Melbourne? No, I no. wish. You did that one, though, didn't you? Once, once, yeah. 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 Um, they changed it to a loop. So you start, you know, when you start in... Just outside of the G yes. at Rod Laver, yep. you run all the way down to Elwood, and then you run all the way back mm-hmm. with a few insane little mines, yeah. mind fuck loops yeah, <laughs> along yeah, yeah, the yeah. way. It's yeah. like, oh right, almost at the finish line. No, you've got to do a lap of the botanical gardens now. That's the one that I do. So you could yeah. see the G, and you still had to do one more loop. Yeah, you got to turn your back. Was uh, that was the first time 
yeah. crack that there. You got to run around. Was it around the inside of the MCG or around yeah. the outside of the MCG? Inside. That you you inside. run inside and do your lap. Okay. Yeah. And you had plenty of support. You gave everybody a wave. Loved it. He loved yeah. it. Yeah. Mum and dad came to see me just outside the G and my partner was there as well. It's fantastic. Do you remember the time? Was that important at the time or just completing was the uh I think there's the a little I think there's a little part of me that looks at the time and there's another part of me that rallies against it and says, No, it's just about the moment. But yeah, of course. I thought about the time. Did you prepare with a time in mind? Because there are programs that says, Listen, we're gonna give you a program where you're gonna finish. Take it easy, all long runs. And then there are other programs from what I've read, which will throw in uh, interval training, uh, cycling, swim, just the recovery to assist you with a, a quicker time. Yeah, I wanted to finish um, in under four and a half hours, mm -hmm. which I thought was a moderate pace, mm -hmm. you know, sort of six minute case. If you can keep that up for a couple of hours, then you're, then you're there. Well, four hours, actually. I had that in mind, but mm -hmm. I didn't want it to, I guess, be overwhelming. I like... The idea of high achievement, but I also fear failure inherently. Okay. So yep. I just set myself what I thought was a moderate goal. With this time, was it more in the back of your mind? Okay, let's finish number one. Was that the first or, or was the time more important than, than finishing or I more think, prominent in your mind? I think because it was the first time, I think I was out there just for the adventure as well. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's this going to be like? Because mm. your training plans back in the day, you don't you don't run the 42 kilometres in training. You run 32, 34, which is mm. what I stuck to. Mm. And the rest is up to the gods, as they say. Glad you stuck with a plan this time. Yeah, I did. As opposed <laughs> to doubling up. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. So do you remember your time for your first up? Yeah, it was about four hours, 10 minutes. So I, I pretty much nailed yes. the expectation. But about halfway, I just thought to myself, you know what? This is just about the moment rather than mm. the time. If I get caught up in the time and looking at my watch, and I never wore a sports watch back mm -hmm. in the day. I just wore a swatch. It's like pretty basic. You know, I don't want to hear something beep at me ever. Yeah. You know, the alarm clock in the morning's oh, yeah. enough. So I don't want that. Did you have the pace setters as well? Did you see the guys with the balloons? balloons yep. Always. You know, you're behind them, in front of them, they catch up to you. <laughs> so it's a bit of a game of chasey. But I kind of learned to let go of those things a little. You have to run your own race. Have you heard of that one before, that saying? Well, yeah. I wanted to finish. That was the main thing. Yeah. You know? So it's true of life in general, I think. So how about uh, in regards to injuries? You obviously had the Achilles injury when you, in your pre career yep were you completely over everything injury wise when you started to during your preparation for your first marathon yeah that's probably the fittest and healthiest I've ever been you know I'm still I'd say I'm pretty healthy now but mm. injuries have kind of come and gone in the last 10 years so so the actual injuries that you had taught you a lesson in regards to your preparation for this uh, the, the marathon the for first sure. marathon that you did for sure definitely Take it easy, incremental increases in load, eating well, sleeping well, all of the above. Now you're pretty good at self-diagnose your own injuries? Yes, but I'm also stubborn, so I tend to ignore them and ignore them until they get too bad and then... So you got an account at the physio then? Yeah. A special account? <laughs> I actually don't go to a physio. I go to a sports doctor, Dr Larkins, and he's, he's a legend because he doesn't say stop running he says do this 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 and this rest a bit but the idea is that 
I'll get you back on your feet again. Keep moving. Because he's an Olympic runner himself. Yep. Yeah. He gets it. So he understands. So as so you have trained injured yep. in the past? Yes. Serious injuries or? Well, it's ongoing because it's um, Achilles. It's not the tendon that's my issue. It's I have a heel spur or sort of a bursa, bursitis issue. Yep. yep. It doesn't sound very exciting, but it such a small thing can be quite inhibiting. So it's about training with good shoes, blah, blah, blah. And I've taken heaps of anti-inflammatories in my time. So I know all about ice, rest, elevation. As soon as you feel a niggle, you get the ice out? Yep. <laughs> so as far as starting a race is concerned, mm-hmm. um, do you have, do you feel sometimes you've started under a minor injury cloud or is that yeah, play in the I've back of your mind? Always. Um, I think I've become either in tune with my body or hypersensitive. I, there's just this thing, because I've, I've had a DNF once at the UTA at the North Face. I started yeah. and I knew I was in for a long day with, with my Achilles. Okay. I started, yes. flew up there, feeling great, fit as a fiddle, but just this niggle was constantly there. And I was started it a physical niggle or was it a mental niggle or was it both? Both. But the mental niggle is you knew ignore the, the injury. Let's push through. I pulled out after 38 Ks. Okay. It was just, I, I felt like I couldn't do it. And I felt like 30, 38 Ks, can I see myself on my feet for another 30, 62? Wow. Is that the maths? I think mm. that's the maths. Yeah. So when did you start feeling it? I know 38 Ks, you just pulled the pin, but at what stage are leading up to the 38 Ks, did you have it thinking, oh, it's here? Well, it kind of... I think, it, you know what, it was at the start line. It was there at the start line. It was there waking up, walking to the bathroom. It was there for the last month before the race. I just just ignored it as yep. much as I could. But on the day, on technical trails, you're not going to, you know, well, some people do. Some people run with broken toes, dislocated kneecaps for 100Ks, but I didn't have it in me. So the Achilles would be affected more so on particular types of terrains as opposed to um, flat terrains, would you say? I think once it's buggered, it doesn't matter about the terrain. It's just being on your feet, to be honest with you. Mm. And being on your feet for up to 16, 18 hours in the, in the Blue Mountains with um, sort of an acute Achilles injury, for me, it was not going to be a fun day, so I didn't want to make it worse. Mm. I knew that I had to get it looked at, mm. and so that was back to the drawing boards for me. That did you have Doctor Larkins on speed dial to chopper him in? No, Can I did. I didn't. That's shot? when after that's when, that's when I first met him. Yeah. So I was referred to him by my by my GP, who's mm. awesome. My GP doesn't he doesn't say, oh, you need to you need to stop running. He says, oh, go and see this guy. He'll he'll fix you up, and yeah. It worked a treat. It took a while, though. In regards to, say, preparing for something in the Blue Mountains, mm. uh, you, what your preparation, your training, you obviously live in Melbourne, Blue Mountain. You live in Melbourne, Blue Mountains are in New South Wales. It's quite a terrain. What do you, are you trying to simulate that training somehow, or what, are you, what is the actual training? Yeah, ultra running 101 law basically dictates that you train for the distance and the terrain. Flat Melbourne is very different to the blueies and you know that's a bit of elevation in that race i think it, the elevation gain 
Over 100Ks is like 4.5Ks up, which means 4.5Ks down as well. Over 100Ks. I've done a few hilly trail runs out in Maroondah with Brett Saxon's Trails Plus group. Um, we do Maroondah, Macedon and New Yangs. Even then, that's still undulating compared to the Blue Mountains. So there's lots of stair training, lots of hill repeats, and then there's the distance on top of that as well. So just time on your feet is is the idea. So does it affect, again, your mental side of things if you know you're not exactly recreating what you're about to run, the the 100 down at the Blue Mountains, or are you quite comfortable? You're not double training, that's what I... Yeah, yeah well, the thing is for me as well is the reason to go out there and try something different. Of course, I could fly up to the Blue Mountains and train there, but I don't have a million bucks. So mm, mm. the idea of it is to explore as well. I've never been to this. I've never run in this beautiful environment. The idea is to try something totally new. Okay. So you, you do your training where you live and yet you travel out to some hills surrounding Melbourne, go to the Dandenongs, do the thousand steps, you know, 10 times or whatever. <laughs> only 10. Only 10. Easy Sunday. Actually only wait, whatever it was. Yeah. But anyway, but the rest of it is like an adventure. Mm. You know, you fly up there and you tow the race line at the Blue Mountains and it's a different world. And that's what it's about. I don't want to recreate it in Melbourne. Okay. It's about travelling and exploring. So some of the questions might sound a bit stupid, but I just wanted oh, to know, when you're doing 100 k- kilometres along the Blue Mountains, yep. um, how do you know where to go? I mean, there must be a track, right? <laughs> but, is there a, but is there a track that you have to keep to? That sometimes they fork off when you go they do. hiking. They do. They fork off. Um, but what they do thank God they do this for us, is that they mark it extremely well. So every 10, 20, 30 metres, there's flagging tape, pink, white, glow-in-the-dark flagging tape. There's arrows on the trail that you need to take and crosses on the trails that you don't take. And you get – it's part of your mandatory gear. Um, You've got a backpack full of all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Included in it is a map with Mm -hmm. a trail. You've got to take a compass – and there's detailed trail descriptions. So there's like sheets of paper. So if you do get lost, you could potentially find your way back to the arrows and the flagging tape. But yeah. you'd have to be a total goose to miss the trail. <laughs> do you have flares by any chance? A flare, just in case? No flares. Okay. Um, but question. you have to carry a mobile phone, preferably Telstra because... okay. Of reception. A sponsor of yours, no doubt? <laughs> no, I've got my $30 Telstra phone that I bought six years ago. It still works. Yeah, that's all I need. In regards to <laughs> your training for an event like this, like let's say the 100 for starters, we'll, yep. we'll talk about the big red in a sec. Is it a lonely, do you train yourself? Do you have groups set up? The marathon, you saw it online, uh, 5Ks today, 10Ks yeah. next week. How about you guys? Well, an urban, an urban marathon is... Um, a different personality and character to um, an ultra trail race. I don't even like to call it a race. I think it's a, a run, really. It depends on your perspective. But it's a lonely thing to do. But I don't like to call it a lonely thing to do. I like to call it a solitary mm. thing to do. Mm. You do it on your own. But you can. You, there's heaps of trail running groups out there. But I'm not a particularly highly social person. You know, when it comes to life in general, I, I like my own space is that I kind of am pretty comfortable with myself so to go out and run for five hours along the Yarra or up in the hills it's kind of like 
my heaven, you know. Are you a creature of habit in regards to the same, tr- the ways you go on a, every second day or however often no. you're running? Or do you just, do you know where you're going at the start of the day? Because I'm thinking in where you track, you, you live in Northcote. Yep. Where you're running uh, and back. Well, I'm notorious for taking um, different trails and finding out about all the different trails. I always just go, hmm, what's over... What's what's this trail like? Yeah. What if I turn left here? Where's it going to take me? And that's how I've discovered all the little trails around Studley Park and near the boathouse there and roundabout. So you head out the door. I have a goal in mind, mm. but I might just decide to do my own little exploratory trip up the Darabin Creek just for shits and giggles, you know. Now, when you say a goal, is it a distance goal or is it a time goal? Bit of both. I think um, the most important thing with ultra running is time on your feet. So five, six hour runs. I guess with trail running, it's more about the time because the distance, you can do 50Ks, but depending on the terrain, 50Ks might take you five hours or it could take you nine hours. So depending on the terrain and the distance, it's, it's like a the calculus of both things so when you're taking off yes what time are you taking off in the morning uh, if you're training is it generally your morning runner evening i'm not a morning person <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'll procrastinate for a bit of time i'd like to say that i jump out of bed and with full energy and hitting the trails at but it's not the case no it doesn't happen at four o'clock in the morning i no. find it really dr- hard to drag myself yeah. out of bed so a cup of tea two cups of tea i'll have a muesli bar and read a book for half an hour to digest and then I'm out the door. And what time's that normally? Well, I usually do my long runs on my day off, so yep. before midday is a good day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not what I was expecting. Yeah. No. I'm expecting you to be out the birds, you know? When I'm when I'm out there on the race, on race day, yeah, I am, but oh, I'm not a morning person. And I think that's my hospitality background kicking in because usually with hospo, I'm up and I'm still at work at 2 a.m., so I'm not an early bird with your work now i understand you're finishing at two o'clock in the morning there's no yep. point in going straight from work yep. for your run i have done that you have done that i have done that because spending a lot of t- being in hospitality as well you you would have spent be spending a stack of time or all your time on your feet on my feet last Definitely. thing you want to do is go for a run i understand now the midday runs or anything yeah. like that but yeah. what is your actual training block say for a hundred kilometer event for instance are you following a program I follow a generalised program. Over time, I've, I'm really bad at following rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if someone says to me, okay, you've got to do this, this, this and this, it's a seven-day training program, I'll look at it and I'll take what I need out of it. I like to run by how I feel as well. I don't run by, okay, you've got to do 80 kilometres this week. One of them's got to be a long run, a medium run, heel repeats and fartlek. I'll be like, no, that's someone else's... That's someone else's rule book. I think I've just created mine by taking things from different places yes. and I've adapted to my own to my own regime of just I'm pretty free flow. And I don't I don't do a long run once a week. I might do a long a really long run once a fortnight. Okay. And everything else is kind of a jigsaw puzzle in between that in between. So it's not as if you need to do a certain amount of kilometers in your head to mm. make yourself comfortable or no, I think I think in general you you have to do a certain amount of kilometres. Mm. It goes without saying. It's you tow the start line if you haven't done the work. You there's no room for pretenders. You can't mm. just rock up. Um, there's definitely a lot of k's and a lot of hours and a lot of prep, a lot of gels. All this stuff goes into it. You know, what I mean about kind of 
going by feel is that on a Monday, I don't want to follow this training program that says on a Monday, you yeah. must have a rest day. Because my Monday is usually my Sunday or yeah, your okay. Sunday. You know, it's like, you know, and you might get called into work early and it fucks up your, your heel repeat day. So I kind of just have learned to adapt by listening to my body in a sense. Mm. So I'll put the Ks in, but it's my own schedule. If I miss, if I skip a long run date, it's not going to break my heart, you know, I'll yep. make up for it. Yeah. Preparation wise, when you first started until yeah. where you are, your last yeah. one, obviously the, t- yeah. the big red, is it similar? Have you made, a, made massive adjustments or minor adjustments or were you on the, do you feel you're on the right track early on in the piece? It's been a constant evolution. It's like anything in life, you know, you where you, where you first started to where you are now, you're constantly learning, growing, adapting. What worked last time might not work again this time, you know, and it's to stay regimented and concrete and to remain in that square, I sense, is, is not me. And it, it's not ultra running, really, because every race is going to be different. It could be cold as, could be hot, whatever. You've got to be really plastic, and elastic in mm. a sense you've got mm. to really be not just in tune with yourself and your training program but just to be able to change as as time goes on with the races meeting people learning all that sort of stuff so it's constant work in progress because i can imagine the actual terrain as well as the weather conditions are quite different from the ones the one that you did in the blue mountains the 100 kilometers and the big red running across the simpson yeah, desert i totally mean different you need to work your mental state has to be prepared for cold, hot. How hot did it get in the, in the Simpson? Simpson was actually, it was a relatively cool year. It was only a top of maybe even 25 during the day. It was okay. 21, 25. And we had for the first time, they say it's like a 10-year cycle or a 30-year cycle, we had like torrential rain as well. So the desert was in full bloom and in full flood on one of the days. We were walking around. Our camp, actually, our campsite one day was this beautiful, flat desert scape. And the next day, or overnight, it had rained and it turned our camp into a swamp. So that's that's nature there. You have to, nature is all powerful. You have to be able to wake up and deal with whatever she gives you. Just before the, the start of that race, the, the big red, as far as plateauing off, you're refreshing your body mm-hmm. for what's coming up. Have Not having done it before, are you getting advice from people that have actually, commu- groups that have done it before? Or? I did a little bit of research. Well, mm. I did a lot of research. I'm a research geek. Mm. I think a lot of people that do these sorts of things are planners. I try not to get too involved with really specific training programs because there's a lot of noise out there. Mm. People do things very differently. Mm. But I did Google a lot of race plans for stage races, like the Marathon de Sable or whatever. Yep. They're very similar in style. But I, again, digested all of that information and came up with my own plan. Yeah. So the idea isn't to simulate the experience, but just to have as much time on your feet as possible. And mm. doing the with a stage race, it's different to just one hit out mm. of 100 Ks. You've mm. got to back it up every day for six days. So mm. the idea is to do back-to-back runs. So one day you're doing 20Ks, another day you're doing 30Ks. I did a similar thing so that you know what it's like to run on tired legs. Okay. You know, and it's about learning how to recover, getting back up, focusing on nutrition and seeing how you mentally and physically adapt. 
So after each stage at the, from the big red, mm. you know, what sort of uh, you're heading back to camp, yep. what sort of rehab were you doing um, to assist you for the next day? Because you're pretty much doing six marathons in six days, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much an accurate breakdown. And there were there's marathons at the start and then you have a long in, – in these classic multi-day, multi-day races, there's a classic long day, which is the second last day. We did back-to-back marathons pretty much and then the long day was 84Ks for us, so – 84.39, let's not uh, oh, yeah. cut yourself. That's right. <laughs> You've yeah. done your research. I have, I have. Yeah. That was um, quite an effort. 6 so, a.m. start too, that would have been a killer. Oh, it wasn't good for me that day, but um, that's a different story, I think. But um, what, what was the question again? <laughs> uh, how do you, your rehab in between days? Because yeah. Because you've obviously recovery. done the hundreds. Yep. You know that you can go flat out and destroy yourself because you know you've got the day off tomorrow. Yep. But you've got six days. Now, for the listeners who haven't heard of the big, the big red run, it's a 250 kilometer event, kilometer event, six day stage race, and you've got a marathon, 42.195 Ks, days one and days two and day three. Then you've got 31 Ks on day four. And then you've got the 84.39. That is correct. Second last day. Just second to, last day. So just to cap it all off. So your, prep, your, your recovery in between days. Yep. The recovery evenings. is the most important thing. Well, you, you're up and running at 8 o'clock in the morning. The first mm. day we started at 7.30. Mm. The rest of the time... 8.30 starts, which is quite luxurious. Really. Sleeping. Sleeping. Nice. Man. But as soon as you head back into camp after your, after your marathon is to look after your hygiene, obviously. You've got to put some fresh clothes on, tidy up the feet. They had a blister clinic at camp, so mm. if you had any hot spots or blisters, you, you could attend to your feet, yep. get a massage. Um, my feet were really good. I looked after them, um, taped them if they got a little bit sore. But I didn't actually end up with blisters until the last day. But anyway, in terms of recovery, cleaning up after yourself, warm clothes, open toe shoes like thongs or whatever, just to air out your feet. Get the sand out. Can imagine, yep. Yep, just dry them out. And just hydration and food ASAP. You know, just get that cup of soup into you, your Milo, your recovery protein bar. I tend not to do those things. I kind of go for real food as much as possible. So okay. I did my muesli bars, extra powdered milk, all that sort of stuff. That's post-race or post-race, post-day? Yeah, post-race. ASAP. Within the first half hour, I need to get something into me so that my muscles and my body can recover metabolically. You've got to refeed and then stretch, stretch, stretch and keep moving around. For how long before you can actually go to sleep? You probably feel, feel oh. like... Well, it was kind of because I was getting into camp after I was doing my marathons in sort of five, six hours. So Mm. I'd be in camp early afternoon, which is a really nice time to hang out with everyone there as well. So it's really social. We we had helicopter rides. We had a dune buggy ride and we'd walk up to Big Red every day. So it was always I was always on the move. You just don't sit down. And then I was in bed by about 7.30. Early night. Early night. It would have been lovely not to be in the hospitality that those days, you know. Oh, it was awesome. Now, if I know, and I'm sure there are people that are going to be listening to this, friends of yours that have, or others that have competed in the Big Red Run. Let me just clarify that it's five marathons in six days. Pretty much, on average. The, because yep. they'll be, uh, I said six and six. But anyway, I want to know something as far as your food. What are you able allowed to take with you? Because all the photos that I've seen, everyone's in their backpacks, everyone's their in, cap- camelbacks. Yeah. Well, the Big Red was a lot of stage races self-supported. 
which means that you've got to carry everything yourself, which which consists of your sleeping bag, all your clothes and all your food for the whole six days. Self-supported races, they only give you hot and cold water. That's all they give you, plus a tent. With Big Red, it was, um, they called it a luxurious uh, stage race where we had to carry our packs, yep. but we had a gear bag that they that you could leave at camp and they would transport it from camp to camp. So mm. our gear bag was... 14 Ks. We didn't have to carry that with mm. us. So that's all of our food, sleeping bag, bits and bobs, mm-hmm. you know, your toiletries and stuff. So that was quite luxurious, 14 kilograms worth. And on your pack during the day, that's your mandatory gear. So you have to carry things like the satellite um, tracker, mm-hmm. which is a safety thing. Yep. Um, you've got to carry enough nutrients or nutrition for the day. Your electrolytes for the day. Is that your own? Are you supplying that yourselves or yep. do you grab it on the way out? No, you've got to supply it yourself. So you're bringing up what you need for 250 kilometres. Really? Okay. Because yeah. looking at the actual entry fee for something like this, if it's the same, it's almost $3,000 3, to bucks, enter. That's correct. I think most of that, the people that are supporting you, most of them are volunteers. I reckon for Greg Donovan to put something like that on, he's got his own number of vehicles, all the tents, all of his gear, plus the insurance, plus having a helicopter on standby, plus supplying all the sat-nav equipment, like safety first. You know, he's got a lot of bills to pay to get us up and running. So Mm. three grand is pretty cheap. Okay. So I I was wondering if it's something that you just enter, do you have to qualify? I mean, they wouldn't just let anybody uh, run these events, do they? Do you have to have some yeah. up in the medical check or uh, maybe a there's qualifying a med, time? There's a med check. Yeah. Um, you've got to go to your GP and he has to sign you off saying that, you know, you're not going to be a liability. If you had some serious issues, you're probably be better off not running in the desert. It's mm-hmm. a, a pretty long medivac. But there are people out there that are running with type 1 diabetes and all sorts of things. There was one lady that had had a brain aneurysm six years prior you know, or four years prior. So there's different sets of medical reasons why you shouldn't be doing something, but Mm. people are extraordinary in terms of what they can do. I mean, yeah, you have to have a medical check. You do submit, in a sense, you're running CV so that they they know that you've done something similar before, but a lot of people hadn't even done a marathon before. And there you go, and they're straight out. Straight out into it. Do they have to sign a waiver? Yep, you do. You do. In case you drop off and yeah, they, Greg, Greg just says... No, so not, not my problem. But <laughs> they do their best, yeah. but there is a waiver as well. As far as your recovery, this, you've obviously, this is the first time you did it. Um, is it similar to the 100k run, your your body to recover after Afterwards. the event? Yeah. I kind of felt like I was good to go straight after. It was really weird. Your body adapts. It has a... It's a strange physiological phenomenon. You know, you think after 100 k's, I'm hobbling around. I find it hard to run immediately afterwards. But with this 250 k's, I felt like my body just adapted in a way that I hadn't anticipated. I was back up and running the next week, really, after after getting back into Melbourne. Can like, you I mean, make, it was pretty... Can you make people feel good and tell them that you actually took a week off or something, you know? People at home with New Year's resolutions when <laughs> they get fit, can you tell them that you had a month? Because with marathons, everything you read, they want you to take a day off for every mile that it is. So they expect you to take a month off after a marathon. Yeah, well... You? 
I don't listen to people telling me what to do very often. Okay. Well, it's a rest. I'm just thinking. Yeah. That's not. Oh, well. It's hard to. It's easy that that <laughs> advice is like, hey, sit on the couch for a month. I'm on. No, I did that too. I did that yes. too. I was on my ass for quite a bit afterwards. But I think it's just, um, it's kind of like what you do. It's kind of like what I do. Mm. You know, it's like how we. Some people like riding their bikes or boxing or martial arts. This is my thing. You know, so to to not run is to not be in a sense your recovery it's more it's not even a physical thing you're, i'm sure you probably still you just need to get out there mm-hmm. you just need to get back out there definitely and away you go because i was wondering about your running equipment too the 250 because let's talk about the big uh the one how many k's do you do you log down how many k's you're uh, covering your program is that something that you actually take uh, yeah i'm a serial I have my running journal, my running diary, whatever. Yes. I've kept one for oof, six, seven years now. Yeah. So I am, <laughs> I'm a bit OCD. I write down what I do every day so that in retrospect, I know what I've done wrong or what I've done right. Mm-hmm. So that's my own, that's my own way of, of logging my experiences. Yes. Whether it's in my head or how many Ks I've done, what time I've done, how many gels I've taken, if I've had diarrhea, for mm. instance, because I've taken a, a dodgy product, yep. not a dodgy product or something that hasn't agreed mm. with me. It's like, don't ever take these gels ever again. Yes. Don't take magnesium supplements, all that sort of stuff. I've learnt the hard way. So writing everything down has been, um, it's part of part of what I do. To so how many kilometres did you run in preparation for the 250, uh, the big red? Well, I spent the first, well, I spent a year kind of building up to it. Okay. In a sense, I planned to do it over a year out. And it coincided with quite a, a difficult year when I was taking on quite a bit of responsibility in the restaurant I was working in. Mm-hmm. I, I became restaurant manager, so hospital hours kind of went from nine, 10 hour shifts to 12 hour shifts, 14 hour shifts. So that took a lot of time away from my running. I only managed a 50K in a marathon that year, but I decided that Big Red was gonna be my focus. And to give myself more time to do that, I actually quit my job. Um, In amongst other reasons, I didn't quit my job because I wanted to do Big Red. But I thought to myself, life can't always be just about work. There's Mm. more to it than this. I'm going to let that go. It was a bit heartbreaking, Mm. but I'm like, yep, life is about living it and being there for your family and friends and doing your own thing. So I quit my job. Simple. That assisted with your preparation, no yes, doubt. Yes, freed up a lot of time. I was going to say, well, how many hours in hospitality? <laughs> you probably done 12, 15 hour days. Yeah, yeah. So it freed up a, a shitload of time and that's how I was able to, to get to the start line, to be honest with you. Otherwise, I reckon I would have struggled. I would have gotten to the start line, but I would have been underprepared. And, and must, it, that would be a liability. It must have been a huge weight off your shoulders. Yeah. And releasing an extra 50, 60 hours a week would have been fantastic for your mental it was perfect. preparation. Yeah. So do you know how many kilometres you actually travel in preparation? You probably know to the oh. metre. Well, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of kilometres. I actually set race goals as well. I did. I went up to do the Blue Mountains in May last year. And that was like um, a goal to get myself race ready for Big Red. So okay. to, to bash out 100 kilometres rest up, kind of taper, and then off into the desert because that helps me physically and mentally. In regards to your equipment, how often are you changing your shoes? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. 
I go through a lot of shoes. A yeah. lot of shoes. I have shoes for every occasion. Running shoes. That can, is. Can we name someone? Maybe we'll get you a sponsor. Because yeah, they're not Sam. cheap, man. They're not <sighs> cheap shoes, huh? I know, right. And we're not talking regular running shoes here. We're talking, <laughs> what, like, what is it, like the Solomon? Is that a brand? Yeah, that's a brand. That's one of this. One of the shoes that I like wearing is Salomon's. Yes, Salomon's, yeah. All the different types. Yep. I've got all of my road shoes, my minimalist shoes, my big chunky shoes, wet weather shoes, sand shoes. Oh, the list goes on. So do you find that the shoes on top are pristine, but there's no soles or there's no um, uh, support in them? You've probably got 200 pairs of shoes at home. If I kept them all, I would, but I actually donate them back to... There's like this running shop in Kew. They've got a big bin outside and they collect all these old shoes and they send them back to Africa for kids. That okay. So I kind of do that. I was going to suggest you actually give them a good clean up and put them on eBay because believe it or not, people are buying second-hand shoes on eBay. I don't know how. They do. Okay. From I experience, could, they could, do. But I send them off to Africa. Yeah, it's a nice gesture. <laughs> all the same. For 25 bucks, that I think you've do, I think you're doing the right thing. Now, as far as race day shoes, are they different from the shoes that you're preparing on or yeah well no you've got to you've got to run and prepare in the shoes that you're going to race in it's that 101 ultra marathon i think it's this philosophy it's like a, a rule set in stone you never run in anything or eat anything new on the day you've got to have worn those socks on your longest run those shoes on your longest run i mean obviously i've broken those rules every now and again mm. don't tell anyone you have to have tried everything out so shoes that you've actually broken in. Definitely. But there's still something left in them to catch you. There's a, yeah. So you've been wearing them for a couple of weeks, but there's, they're, they're, it's like the sweet spot of a cricket bat. Yeah. And it's, well, I understand that because I have read also about shoes or anything. Mm. Don't try anything new on the day. Yep. One Craziness. Yes. What sort of support do you get from your family in these, uh, apart from them thinking you're a bit craziness? Or they all supportive and uh, well, they're leading up and also on, on during the event. There's this saying, well, there's not a saying, I think it's my saying. I think it's a saying for a lot of ultra runners that it's, you don't do it on your own. It's your support crew and your friends and family that put up with the fact that you're going out on a Sunday when you, we could be having dinner or lunch or beers at the pub. You're the, you're the one off running for six hours in the middle of nowhere and they're the ones waiting for you. Or not, but usually they're the ones waiting for you, and they're the ones at all your checkpoints with Coca-Cola and you know Mandy noodles and a new pair of socks and a hug in, nice. the, middle, in the middle of the night. They're the ones doing the hard work. Do you have a good support uh, crew? How many come along? Is there yeah. the same group that come and visit or come and assist? Yeah, I've had the best support crew ever. It's my wife. Yep, <laughs> nice. my wife Electra. She's always there. Is she run as well? She runs as well. And what, yeah. where is she at? Did she do the ultras um, as well? She's decided to run ultras because she's sick of waiting for me. <laughs> sick of being by herself. Yeah. She's just like, oh, I'm going to give this a go. Yeah. She's, um, she's done two fifties and her first hundred was last year. Yeah. And I was support crew for that. All right. So what's the actual arrangement? Have you raced together? No. We competed don't. together? Okay. Oh, we haven't. Well, we did UTA together. I did the 100, Electra did the 50. Um, obviously, I was still out running when she finished, but she was there uh, for one of my last checkpoints and at the finish line. My brother always comes up mm -hmm. as well. Nice. 
Um, they're always there in their beanies, you know, in sub-zero temperatures usually. Eating your magic noodles? Eating my noodles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask if you, uh, is there plans to be competing at the same or running the same events with the, with your partner, with Electra? Yep. We're doing our first one together this year. We're doing Oxfam. Okay. Yeah. The trail walker. We've put a team together, four chicks, team beam. So myself, Electra, a lady called Melanie Cooper. She's a good friend of mine. And um, a girl that I did Big Red Run with, um, Bron Lewis. So we've formed a team. We're going to bash out 100 kilometres together. Is that 100 kilometres per day for four days or is that over four days? No, that's just one day. One day, okay. Yeah, yeah. As so a team. As a team. Yeah. So that could, that could be uh, not necessarily easy enough, but as a team you work together, you start and finish mm. at the same time. But yep. what I'm thinking of, if you decide to both do the same event, a 50, a 100, or even the Big Red down the track... Has the conversation been had, yep. you know, like you have a training partner and you feel stronger, but the training partner, do you leave the training partner behind because you're feeling strong? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this uh, is sort of uncharted territory for me. I think it's like the next step um, in my running is to, to share the experience a little more. And Electra is pretty awesome. We've, we've done things like marathons together, but we run separately because otherwise... You know, if someone wants to go faster or slower, you yes. don't want to add that dimension to it. Yeah. So we just meet at the finish line. Whereas this time, we're going to stick together as a team, start together, get into the checkpoints together. If someone needs to walk or if someone's sick, then that's how the day is going to roll. With these events, you mentioned earlier in regards to competing or completing the events hmm. when you get to that starting line are you in competition against the others against if you've done it before are you again in competition against the clock no not i'm not competitive with there's the pointy end of the race and that's friggin nine hours ahead of me you know hmm. these guys are finishing when i'm halfway there's the only competition is and i've thought about this and i've tried to put words to it it's not really about competition it's about as wanky as it sounds, it's about your internal dialogue and your journey to get there and during the day. And that's it. You know, it's about the adventure. I'm, so, not, I'm not competitive. So you're not trying to, all right, so you're not competing. That's fine. How about a, a time like last year, if you did the UTA in, let's say, I'm going to guess 18 hours or the 18 hours, 22 minutes and 31 seconds. Yeah, that was right. one of my better efforts. But when I look at the clock, like mm. my first half was, it's a race where, I try to run and then it's incredibly hilly. There's there's heaps of stairs and there's ladders. And if anyone's done the UTA, they'd know what I mean by the stairs. Mm. There's thousands of them. Um, so it kind of really breaks up your rhythm and momentum. So it's a day of, well, it's close to a day and it's 18 hours. It's 18 hours of constant movement. And that's a bit of a journey, I think, because you're, you're running at breakfast time, lunch time, dinner time, and you're running when you're supposed to be in bed. It's it's a lot more than running. <laughs> I'm just thinking 18 hours. Can you take us through, not necessarily minute by minute, but if you do a marathon, for instance, there's checkpoints or, or watering stations yeah. every 5Ks, yeah. for instance. Uh, over your 100-kilometre uh, events, there must be check water stations. Yep, yes, are. But are you? do you get into that? rhythm or that pattern where you can just keep going at the same pace or you're stopping, starting, eating, rehydrating? 
I think you kind of summarised it really well there, Sam. It's all of the above there. Um, you are stopping, starting. Or should you shut up and answer the question? <laughs> Re- Sorry there. Re- you are doing all of that. Um, there are checkpoints that pretty much 15, 20, 30 kilometres apart. So you have to be prepared for each section of the race. And with anything, you know, you're going to have your low points and high points. I think it's a, it's a beautiful little crucible and analogy for life. Like in one day, you live every emotion possible every mental and physical state possible. The highs and lows are really quite extreme. But you're always continuing to move forward. You're never stopping Well, because that could be dangerous. You Your body do, might... I do stop. Yeah. Like I do stop to change my socks at a particular time. Okay. Like I think it's really – it gives you fresh legs. I think it's quite psychological to change into a fresh pair of socks and mm. to change into warmer clothes and to – prepare yourself for the night section by having some, you know, instant noodles. There's lots of little tricks to it. Making me hungry. Yeah, I'm I'm hungry. Plenty of salt. Plenty of salt. (laughs) Plenty of salt, plenty of sugar, plenty of caffeine. But I have my own tricks, I suppose. Yes. My own little mental triggers of what I do to get into the next zone that I'll need. Because I've I've kind of freaked my support crew out a few times by looking like a total zombie, so I've run off in the wrong direction, oh, for right, instance. Okay. Yeah, so I know that I need sugar and caffeine at certain points. Now, you mentioned about mental triggers and internal dialogue. Yep. I wanted to ask you regarding conversations you have in your head, yep. as well as out loud. I'm sure there are times when you're talking to yourself. <laughs> but as far as in your head conversations, uh, yep. the conversations must be different when things are going well and when things are going hard. The good conversations... Yeah. First, oh, actually, you want to give me the bad ones first, or? Oh, there's been, there's been a fair few of, there's been so many. I've never really, I've never really, well, I have spoken about them to be honest with you. One of my favourite authors, Murakami, he's written a book about running, um, and it's called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And for me, that little, I guess, analogy about life in one day. It's very true. You know, you think about the lowest points in life. When it comes to running, running strips everything away. And it's just that day, that physical journey, which becomes quite emotional and spiritual as well, because you think, well, there's only so much the body can do. The rest is the mind. And within the mind, there's that dialogue of, why am I doing this again? This is really hard. This hurts. My toe hurts. I'm hungry. Should I be eating? What's the time? It's really hot. Oh, that tune's really annoying. Why did I have Madonna on the iPod? Those are the simple things, you know, and then that's just the shit that goes on in your head. Sounds taxing, you know, just listening to it. All, the, all these <laughs> negative thoughts coming in your head. There must, do you get tired thinking, oh, just. Sometimes you just let go as yeah. well. Everything passes. Yeah, all things pass. And the good conversations? The good conversations it's like, oh, there's five Ks to go. Yes. Yes. You know, oh, it's halfway. And then you think about where you are, which is the point of it, and you're in nature mm. and it's the most beautiful thing in the world and you just think, oh, it's worth it. It's worth being up the top of that mountain, all those stairs, um, getting up the top of Nellie's Glen, getting up to the top of the Furbis Steps mm. or Iron Pot all these amazing places that I've been to. It's like I got there on foot. How about that? And then it's all worthwhile. So do you actually 
forget where you are sometimes and you need to stop you not necessarily stop physically but think hey have a look around no because you could just be left right left right left right and then forget that you're in a beautiful part of the world and then you look around you think all right you know i never do that i'm here no i never do that's something that i've always been quite conscious of is that it's easy just to kind of go through life and always think about, oh, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait for next week. I can't wait for the weekend. I think ultra running is about the moment mm. in a very, very specific way. I never think to myself when I'm in the Blue Mountains or when I was out in the desert that I'd rather be somewhere else. Okay. I never, I always look up. You're always looking up and around. Always, always looking up. I always, definitely looking up when I'm looking up at the stairs. Yes. Um, but figuratively... And emotionally, it's always about looking up. How about in the it sounds pretty soppy, but... No, nah, I mean, not in the... Like, I don't know. Well, I'm, I don't, I'm not there to escape anything. It's like, mm. God, it's so beautiful. You know, like, it's the best, the best thing ever. So is it, is it easier then? Does it, it sounds a bit silly, but you got, you're got in such beautiful surroundings as opposed to running mm. along uh, Station Street or bloody, uh, you know, Fitzroy yeah, or running whatever. into the city. Yeah, yeah. it's it's... Does that's, it help? That's is it why. easier? That's why. Yeah, it does make it easy. It makes it all worthwhile. Like I did this race a couple of years ago, Surf Coast Century, mm-hmm. and the first leg is 21 kilometres and it's from Anglesey into Torquay past icons like Bells Beach and stuff. But you're running as the tide is down and mm. you're running along all of those beautiful cliffs and all the, across the rock pools and it's 21 kilometres and the sun's rising sort of wading through a bit of water and you're running beneath the cliffs and it's just the best thing ever. Imagine that. Everyone's asleep, you know, and you're there. And it's going to be a long day ahead of you, mm. of course, mm. but it's you, you, can't, you can't buy that. At that stage, it's quite comfortable to be out there and it's just you're not yeah. even thinking about <laughs> anything. The Achilles isn't uh, bothering you. Yeah, it's, you're just free as a bird, really. You just think about the elemental, the simplicity of it all. What about the big red day? You're running in the Simpson Desert. If no one's ever been to the Simpson Desert, always seen as photos of hot red land, sand dunes, everything, whatever it is out there for us novices. It's but can you get into that sort of mindset as well, the beauty of the, the Blue Mountains in the Simpson Desert? Yeah, the desert is a lot more than just red sand and and dust. It's this incredible environment. I mean, I'd never seen it before, so I Googled it a lot, but nothing compares to your own footsteps out in the desert, and it's an environment as old as 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 anything out there, you know. I was running on all these different... all this different terrain, all these different ecosystems, the dunes, the, the creek beds, the flats, the rocky plains... There were camel footprints, there were birds, wedge-tailed eagles. So I was like immersed in nature and it's incredibly complex. It, it looks hot and dry and dusty from the air and certainly very hot, dry and dusty on the ground as well, but it's a lot more complex than just a bit of red sand for sure. So it's a bit more than just yeah. red it, sand like it, you said. It was, it's distracting in a really cool way. Okay. Yeah. In regards to foods, refueling, yep. uh, do your foods leading up? 
one of the questions is, what's your food bill like? Because I can imagine to <laughs> refuel your body by having working at a restaurant, you're, yeah. you're certainly getting your money's worth working at the restaurant. Or, uh, no, restaurant food's um, overrated. You can't eat that way. It's not. It's not real. It, obviously, it's real food, but it's very much food that's been changed and altered to become a different. It's a different world of food, I think. Yeah. Um, whereas food for running is broken down into the simple requirements of carbs, protein, carbs, carbs and carbs. I mean, lots of fruit and veggies. I'm not just talking about eating loads of shit white bread. I'm talking about really good carbs. Mm. Yeah. Anything in particular that you load up on? That um, it- I'm a bit of a guts. Like I'll, I'll eat anything really. I don't eat meat. Um, mm-hmm. I eat a bit of fish. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those. I'm pescatarian. So... I'm conscious of what I put down my throat in that sense, mm-hmm. you know. Um, before a race, I'm pretty – I like to keep it simple. Pasta, some rice, pizza maybe. Um, I don't try to eat hot food or spicy food. Just veggies, fruit, keep it simple. Lots of nutrients, I think. There's nothing in particular you're staying away against because it's not you know it's going to detract from yeah. your well, performance or anything I'm not like going to have a Thai curry or Indian – definitely a big no-no mm-hmm. but keeping it simple you know if i felt like just having a cup of soup and a sandwich that's what i'll have the night before we're gonna get maggi on board you and your cup of soups i love it uh, we salt it's salty water well, yeah yeah <laughs> um, is that a post-race reward do you have uh, post, you, no, 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 that's, that's before, before post race is like I've sort of I want to know reward. I force myself to kind of have a chocolate milk or something like that post-race, but inherently after 100 kilometres, it's just a really cold beer. Really? Yep. Cold beer. It's there waiting for you? They're waiting for Any me. Any brand in particular so no, we can get them on the, on the bandwagon I'm a as bit well. of a beer snob. Um, right. Yeah, I like, I like different beers, but anything cold and local is good. As far as the ultra marathon runners are concerned, whether, mm. are there anyone that when you decided that you, you, you heard of or you looked up to, I'm sure yeah. the community has a few people that... Yeah, there's lots legendary. of legends out there, you know. I think there's it's a huge community. Um, it's a very small community, but it's a big mm. community. Like you go to races these days and you'll bump into people you've run races with and there's a bunch of people that I've really kind of been looked up to these are these are icons of the time in my mind um people like dean Karnazes and um scott jurek i've kind of written some down am i allowed to read off my list dean Karnazes, yeah dean Karnazes. the book yeah 50 marathons yeah. in 50 days or something yeah, like 50 that marathons 50 days like i think he was the first ultra runner to to kind of break into mainstream media in a sense yes. he kind of Literally wrote a book. Wrote a book. Imagine that. He broke some boundaries there and he was able to verbalise all of this crazy stuff and it seemed accessible to me. It's like, oh, I could try that. So I did, Mm. you know, and I think something just flickered there for me, the light bulb moment, and I kind of got interested in a lot of the literature Mm -hmm. as well and it's not just about running. Like there's people, like I, I kind of look abroad to people that are there trying new things and exploring and that sense of exploration kind of got me thinking you know what's it like to walk across Antarctica and I read um Sir Ranulph Fine's book 
mad, bad and dangerous to know. And I'm like, wow, people are out there just exploring all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ranulph Fiennes, Amelia Earhart, mm-hmm. because I'm in hospice, Stephanie Alexander, she's awesome. Groundbreaking, yes. yep. trying new things all the time, mm-hmm. you know. She wrote a book, a few books as well. And a lady called Diana Nyad. She swam from Cuba to Florida. It's 260 mile. She mm. swam, took a few days. You know, it's like, wow. There's so many inspirational people out there that just give things a go. They jump in, literally. You know, Lisa Tamati, she's a Kiwi girl. Sam Gash. I ran with an awesome chick from the UK. Um, she's Swedish, Elizabeth Barnes. She won the Big Red Run. She also won the Marathon de Sable a couple of years ago. And they're just, they just seem like normal people doing extraordinary things, you know. That's what it's all about. It's all about that. Can I ask you another silly question that uh, ultra marathon running really got a big bump um, a few many years ago when they used yep. to do the Sydney to Melbourne? I know, right? Yeah. Cliffy Young. How do you explain a 60-plus-year-old uh, not only competing but winning the event? And it was fantastic because you were 60-plus and you had great personality and running down the Hume. Did you, you obviously remember that? Yep. Is that Was that an inspiration at the time? Did you think about that? I felt at the time it was pretty, it was almost like a, a different world to me at the time. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, these are like groundbreakers. Mm. The first. Cliff Young, Giannis Kouros. People forget about these guys, you know. And they're just there moving constantly forward. Like Giannis Kouros, I think he did the Spartathlon. He's done all of this great stuff, like 24-hour races around the track, all this crazy stuff. And they're the the ones that started it all, I think. Because I do remember when Cliff Young won it. It was fantastic, especially for Westfield. They got the promotion and all that sort of thing because he started in Sydney, for those that don't know, and he ran to Doncaster Shopping Town, Westfield. Fantastic. He was 60 plus. Everyone, you know, he caught the imagination of everybody. It's fantastic watching your grandfather running from Melbourne to Sydney, uh, Sydney to Melbourne. But then a few years later, Giannis Kouros ran and he was like the perfect candidate because he's running into a very highly populated City, as in um, uh, Melbourne, yeah, a lot of Greeks, yeah, and you, I do remember him <laughs> on the TV with his uh, van, the support van, and the yep. Greek music going, yep. and it was just the people went crazy because he really smashed some records, Melbourne to Sydney. Yeah, he did. I mean, th- these guys all did, but I think it kind of goes back further in time. Um, you think about all the sort of old cultures out there. Yep, you've got the. Tarahumara and Indians um, in South America, Africans. I think it seems like this such a new thing or new way of doing things, this running, this weird running thing. But I think we've been doing it all the time. We've just lost it a little bit and people are coming back to it. I think it's in, I think in a sense, it's a part of humans, that mm. desire. Not just for running, but just to just to see what's over that next hill. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Um, and legends like Cliff Young running in their 60s, I think, well, that's, that's incredible. But in a sense, people like that are making it normal. As abnormal as running from Sydney to Melbourne might seem. But mm-hmm. it's, I think we're too used to being 
cosseted, comfortable on a chair, warm shoes. We're so comfortable. Food is at our at our reach at all mm, times. Mm. The fridge is there. I think it's important to think about what we're truly capable of, you know. And in your sixties, I, I don't want to be. I want to be running in my sixties over some sand dunes still. Does it throw the theory out about getting old and stopping running because it's just the pounding is just too hard on your body? No, that's bullshit. That's that's bullshit. People people use that as an excuse. I think not that people use that as an excuse. I think is it the cycling community trying to get us on bikes? I'm on. Oh, I need to. I need to cross trains. So I bike biking is actually really good. I'm not. Yeah, they just they just have fancy gear. That's all. Or the owners Don't of the swimming pools. You know, <laughs> that's a different conversation, I think. But um, I think it's important for us to get back to our roots and running is is that for me anyway? I don't. I don't pretend to speak for other people so you mentioned cross training mm-hmm. uh, you you do apart from uh cycling uh, sorry apart from your running what else do you do um, cross training wise i speak about cross training <laughs> but it's something that i don't do enough of um the penny is starting to drop it's dropped many times but it's it's hard to get into the gym and on the bike and in the pool for me mm. yeah i find cross training a bit of a barrier i know i should do it you know, but I tend to just go for a run instead. So what do you do and what don't you, what should you do? What I should do is work on my strength, Mm -hmm. which I have been sort of on and off the last six months. I've been sort of working on it, you know, in a dynamic way, just not sort of pumping iron, but sort of working with my personal trainer, Mm -hmm. which has been really good. I've slacked off a bit. I know I need to get back. Strength training, I reckon, is really important, especially as you get a bit older, especially for me. And getting off my feet a little bit more. So I should get back on the bike and in the pool. And I think yoga would be good. Just for the sup- keep the muscles supple? That's it. Well, I want to know about bucket list stuff. Bucket list Because there must be something ultra marathon. But I'm also thinking, you did mention cross-training pool, yeah. bike, Hawaii Ironman must be something that you look at as well. Definitely. Um, Ironman's definitely there on the horizon. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm not guessing. No, I'd love to I'd love to give it a go. Um, it's just about starting. You know, everyone, everyone's good at putting up barriers and um, no exception. It's like, oh, God, got to get the bike. Where do I find the time? It's like if you want something, you find the time mm. and you'll find the way. So I think... My journey with running hasn't evolved as far as I want it to yet. Mm-hmm. I think I still have things and races and places I want to go to. So that's on your ultra ultra running list, let's say like your ultra yeah, bucket my u- list? My ultra list is it's growing and evolving over time. And it's not just about races anymore either. Like I kind of want to see different countries. Mm-hmm. I want to get over to New Zealand, America try new distances, do more stage races. It's limitless, really, and I'd like to do a lot of my own exploration, you know, just check out this beach, run up that beach and see how far you can go, not just in one day, but to actually do, to pack my own pack with my own gear and just head out into the hills. So when you say different distances, obviously you've done the 250, is it, when you're talking distances, is it more distance? Or is it um, a variation of distances? 
I think a distance isn't just a means to an end. I think as you increase distance, you're increasing <laughs> the pain threshold, I suppose. I, I'd like to see what I'm capable of physically, but also mentally. So my next challenge is a hundred miler. So that's 160 Ks. Yep. That's a challenge I've set myself up for this year. I want to see what it's like. I've never sort of pushed myself above 100 Ks in one go. I want to see like when you're still running 24 hours later or shuffling or walking or crawling, whatever it might be, mm. I want to see what is inside of me. And is that 100 mile, is that in Australia or is it sounds like an American race in regards to 100 miles? Um, the one that I'm doing, or well, I haven't entered it yet, but the one that I want to do is out in the Yu Yangs. Yeah. And is that 160 k's? That's it. That's it. 100 miler. Uh, mm. I'm tired just thinking about it. I'm on. Now, <laughs> we've just started the year and obviously everyone's uh, New Year's resolutions. Do you mm. set yourself New Year's resolutions? Because you seem to be a very highly motivated uh, person in regards to your fitness side of things. Mm, I don't, I don't like, I keep on saying it, I don't like those sorts of rules. Yeah. It's like, oh, on this day of the year, you've got to make a resolution. I think you constant. I, I like to think that you're constant, that I'm constantly pushing myself, trying new things, um, thinking about what I'm doing, setting goals, not setting goals. I think to distill it into one day of the year is selling yourself short. I think you should be looking at every day. All right. So people listening, they want to be inspired. <laughs> Where do they start if they want to be an ultra? If you want to start. They've never run. They've never run. Well, the journey starts, it sounds like a wank, but it can start any time you want it to. Mm. It's just about getting out that door. Just, just that Get first step. Yeah. I don't know. I think some doors are harder to open and I think it's not the, the physical barrier of that particular image or that. It's a metaphor, really. Do you want to get out? What's stopping you? And that 50K first ultra that they want to take on, how far ahead, before they read into all the literature that is out there, how far ahead do they have to prepare, start preparing uh, to finish the race comfortably? I think for a non-runner... I don't. I think we're all runners. We just don't do it enough mm -hmm. or ever. Mm -hmm. We stop ourselves for whatever reason. And um, I hate sort of preaching that sort of preacher tone about running or any exercise. You've got to do what you love. You know, you, what's what you're passionate about. That's a motivator. Um, but if you're just scared of starting, just think that anyone can do it. You know. But to run a 50k comfortably, depending on the terrain, mm. I think to give yourself a good year, you know, just to get used to it, to get used to going out for longer and longer, and longer distances and to get fit enough so that you're not constantly out of breath and in pain. Yes, I think yes. that's a huge yes. little hurdle along the way, like mm. to get fit enough where you think, oh, I'd like to go for a bit longer now. Whereas you get to that sweet spot in running where it becomes easy, you know. It's never that easy, but it becomes easier. It just takes a bit of time. And patience. Yes. Otherwise, if you overtrain, you're going to get very frustrated because I can that imagine is. when you're injured, it's quite frustrating yeah. doing nothing. That's another mental challenge, I think. And it's as much commitment as you put into your training. If you get injured, you have to put the same commitment into your recovery. Do you go crazy mm. when you can't do anything active? 
Yep. Mm. I mean, the worst, the worst of me, the, the worst I'm on is, is the sedentary one. Yeah. Yeah. Can't stand still. That's good. Well, I just wanted to, uh, you were the first in your category for the big red run. Apparently. Don't be modest now. Apparently you I were was. The first. You were you were the eighth female finisher. Yep. Yes, 28th overall. Yep. You completed your 250 kilo event, the big red run, in 29 hours, 15 minutes and 25 seconds. That's it. But it was only 210 k's, remember. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I can edit that out because we're, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story of mine. Okay. <laughs> That's still very impressive effort. Thank it you very much. You had a drink at the Birdsville pub then? Yes. Yes. Had a 4X. Did you? Yeah. Just the one? Had a few. Mm. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you once again for joining us on Exceptionals and thank you to Amon Shedden, our extreme queen. If you'd like to hear more past episode of Exceptionals or future episodes of Exceptionals, subscribe to Exceptionals on iTunes. Or you can find us on our Exceptionals Facebook page or feel free to go to samnavajira.com and click onto our podcast page. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye for now.